Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. History Hit and Assassin's Creed presents Assassins vs. Templars. Real histories of the secret orders. Welcome to episode four of Assassins vs. Templars. I'm Dan Snow, and this is a special collaboration between History Hit and Ubisoft, the masterminds behind the Assassin's Creed games. This series explores the real history behind the secret societies that inspired the Assassin's Creed franchise, the Assassins themselves and the Templars. So in every episode, we're diving deep into the Crusades. We're talking about everything from the myths of the Grail to discovering the real people who inspired the key characters of the game. In this episode, it's Robert de Sable one of the main antagonists from the original Assassin's Creed game. Who was he? What did he accomplish? Was he that athletic? And why do we remember him today? The man who's going to answer all those questions for us is Peter Edbury. He's an emeritus professor in the School of History at Cardiff University. Enjoy. Peter, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Listen, every great game needs a great evil genius, an antagonist. Assassin's Creed has got that. we got Robert de Sable. Tell us about this man. Robert de Sable was from Western France. Sable itself is sort of more or less halfway between Le Mans and Angers, and it was an important lordship, and he was the hereditary lord of Sable, came to inherit the place around about 1160. Now, the point is that it had been a very, very important place because it was right on the border. It was the marcher lordship between Anjou and Maine. And so his ancestors were border lords, and that meant they had to be pretty tough. By the time Robert came along, it wasn't a border lordship any longer because a whole lot had got subsumed into the so-called Angevin Empire, the lands in France ruled by the King of England, Henry II. So he wasn't a border lord, but he was one of the awkward squad. He was one of the people who made life difficult for Henry. His own son rebelled. Robert joined in. Yes, that's the problem with the Plantagenet family. The sons all went a bit rogue, didn't they? Yes, it was a pretty sort of volatile situation. What happened in Robert's case was that when the Henry's eldest son, the young Henry, died in um, 1183, left... Robert a bit high and dry. He picked the wrong side. Yeah, and he managed to re-ingratiate himself, which means that by the time the Third Crusade was called, he was back in the king's good books. The other thing that Robert has to do before he can set off on crusade is to make his peace with various abbots and so on, whose property the abbots claimed he'd been infringing. There's quite a lot of sorting out of lawsuits and so on going on because Robert wants to be squeaky clean if we're going on crusade. 
And is going on crusade quite a good way of rehabilitating your reputation? In his case, he was obviously was already rehabilitated because of the responsibilities he was given. Basically what happens is that the crusade is caught in 1187. Robert, as Lord Henry II, is a bit sort of standoffish about this, but then he dies and Henry's son, Richard the Lionheart, Richard I, takes the lead and Richard entrusts Robert with a group of others as his naval commanders. His job is to bring the ships round from England through the Straits of Gibraltar en route for the Holy Land, basically. And so Robert has the warlike instincts of his forebears. He's a, he's a warrior. Yes, he's a warrior. And he joined the king in Sicily. He's known to have been personally involved in negotiations with the king of Sicily. They sailed on to Cyprus, which Richard conquered. We know Robert was with them at the time because he turns up in a document. And then they reach the Holy Land. So Robert de Sable is the main antagonist in Assassin's Creed. Before he even goes on crusade, is there any sense he's more or less villainous than anyone else in this period? No, no, he's also quite a sort of typical type of these people. And is he, is he involved with the Templars, the religious well, order? not specifically, but, and this is the interesting thing, his great-uncle had been the master of the temple. There's a man called Robert of Crayon, whose dates are something like 1136 to 49. Robert Crayon, incidentally, is not very far from Sable, on that sort of border between Anjou and Maine. And Robert had been the master of the temple at a time when the Templars got an enormous amount of their endowments. Templars are very wealthy. So Robert de Sable does have a, a sort of lineage that involves the Templars. He's at King Richard's side, so he's a senior crusader. So as far as the game's concerned, they they have picked out a kind of a senior crusader. But having landed in the Holy Land, what's he gone and do? And when does he fire up his association with the Templars? Well, when they reach the Holy Land, there are two things going on. The chief thing is that they're actually setting about besieging the town of Acre, which is the modern-day Israeli Akko in northern Israel. It's far and away the best harbour. And it's also already identified as the sort of chief commercial centre. The Christians are trying to win it back from the Muslims. They'd lost it in 1187. By 1191, when they arrive, the siege has been going on for almost two years. Richard and the King of France, who arrived a few months earlier, bring it to a very speedy conclusion. The other thing that's happened is that the previous Master of the Temple was a man called Gerard of Ridderford, and he'd actually died in a skirmish during the Siege of Acre, back in 1189. So in other words, there has been no master of the temple for about 18 months by the time these people get there. And what seems to have happened was that Robert joins the order and he's immediately elected master. Now you say, that's a bit funny. Surely you would expect the master to be somebody coming up through the ranks rather than somebody who's been parachuted in from above. But that's effectively what's happened. Obviously, Richard has engineered this. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So he's Richard's protégé. He's the master of the temple. Interestingly, the other great military order, the Hospitallers, another of Richard's cronies, is the master at the same time. So Richard has got a full house, basically. So Assassin's Creed are right to say that Robert de Sable was one of the most senior crusaders. He's obviously very close to Richard, and he's now running this military order in the Holy Land. Yes, he's in charge. Now, what's happened is that the, the Templars have suffered very, very serious losses. 
All attempts has captured at Battle of Hattin back in 1187 have been slaughtered. Other losses are quite considerable. The probability is that there are not so many Templars around. And more to the point, there are not very many experienced Templars. People are experienced with the local warfare, experienced with the local conditions. But Robert isn't either. He's fought alone in France. Exactly, no. Yes, Robert's Robert's, uh, another one. Um, Now, presumably what happens is that those Templars who are survivors are very much sort of look to give sort of day-to-day advice as to what you can do um, I mean, after all, what are you going to do if you're running an army? Well, you've got to find food, you've got to arrange transport, you've got to have horses. I mean, one of the big problems you see with going on crusade is that horses don't like going on boats, especially little boats. So you bring your horse with you from the West on crusade, it's going to take quite a number of days before it's in a fit state to bear your, the weight of your body on its back after it's been cooped up in, in the hold of some ship. So, I mean, there's all sorts of problems, and these are the sort of practical problems that you have to get. I noticed from Assassin's Creed that he was obviously an extraordinarily athletic man uh, who um, sort of did all sorts of uh, running across roofs of houses and so on. There's no portrait of Robert. We assume he was active as a warrior, but whether he was a sort of man of great physical prowess or not, we've no idea. In the Assassin's Creed game, he is portrayed as someone very, very important. Can you see his impact on the course of the Crusade? Well, he is important simply because he's the commander of this particular uh, military unit. It has to be said, though, that Master of Templars, he doesn't leave very many traces. He's not master for very long. So he's elected in the summer of 1191, dies probably in September 1193, although we can't rule out the possibility he may actually have died in September 1192. So he's not around for very long, and there are very, very little documentation. What we do know is that the Templars were very much involved in Richard's campaign. After they captured Acre, Richard set off into what is now moved south into southern Palestine. What he's obviously trying to do initially is advance on Jerusalem. And the way to do that is to secure the coastal centres of Jaffa, the present-day Tel Aviv, and Ashkelon, which had been a major fortress. And that's Richard's priority. Now, to get there, uh, the army has obviously has to march down the coastal road. And on the way, the army comes under very heavy harassment from Muslim mounted archers. And how do you organise an army that's being attacked in this way? You want to move forward, you're being harassed, and you have to get a strict, vigorous, well-disciplined formation. And you need people who know what they're doing to guard the rest of the troops. And it's the military orders who take the lead, and the hospitalers and templars between them act as the vanguard and the rearguard of the army. And their job is to try and keep the Muslim mounted archers at bay keep them out of range if possible. It's a constant combat. And it's a constant combat. And obviously Robert is going to be a key person in this. So the army sets off down the coast from Akko, from Acre, towards Tel Aviv, towards Jaffa. And when they get to a place called Arsuf, which is not very far north of Jaffa, they actually engage the Muslims in battle. And this is really the one occasion when Richard is involved in what anything resembling a pitched battle with the Muslims, and the Christians come off pretty well. 
there are losses, but on the whole, they've carried the day. Uh, the problem is that the, the Muslim mounted archers are back harassing them only a few days later. So it didn't really, uh, in that sense, they, it wasn't the sort of big knockout blow that they may have hoped for. When they get there, there's quite a lot of work needing to be done to get the fortress back in a sort of um, viable position and so on. And then there's the question of advancing on Jerusalem. And the military orders, again, presumably those members of the military orders who have local knowledge, experience, say, now look, it's not going to work. Jerusalem itself is not actually particularly strongly defended by the Muslims, but you take Jerusalem, you're going to have very, very long supply lines, and it will be very easy for the Muslims to bring up a much larger force and kick you out and destroy you. So basically cut your losses and don't bother. That, of course, didn't go down terribly well with the rank and file, but Richard could see the point. Now, let's say the Templars, Hospitallers, they're the people who are giving this advice. So it's the local knowledge. So you think Robert de Sable, even though he was uh, also from out of town, he, he was probably channeling that advice? He'll be endorsing what his guys tell him, basically. He'll be happy with that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So that's the first thing that happens. So they help with this march. They give the advice. And that's more or less it. Now, there are two other things that they do. One is when at the end of the crusade, in September 1192, Richard decides to go home, he decides he wants to take the shortcut. He would regret that. Well, exactly. He decides he'll go through the territory of his great enemy, the Duke of Austria, through Germany, heading for Normandy. And the way he decides to do it is he'll go in the company of some Templars himself disguised as a Templar, and they get found out and that he's betrayed or recognised. We're not quite sure. The sources will tell you different stories, different details. And he ends up in prison. And he ends up in prison, and he is held to ransom, and everything is sort of delayed. And it's terribly scandalous that they should do this to a crusader, or at least that's the view the English took. And, and Robert de Sabla was with him, or he goes no, back a different uh, way? No, almost certainly not. No, I think Robert must have stayed in the East. But the other thing that Robert's involved with concerns Cyprus. Richard conquered Cyprus en route for the Holy Land. Cyprus was not held by the Muslims. It was held by the Christian Greeks in the person of a man called Isaac Dukas Komnenos, who was a sort of, basically, he was a member of the Byzantine um, imperial family who'd gone rogue and effectively had usurped power in Cyprus, styled himself emperor, but I don't know whether you can really call yourself emperor of Cyprus because it's not a very big place, really. Richard conquered it. This is in the summer of 1192, just before he reaches the Holy Land. And Richard, of course, realises right from the start, if the crusade is going to work, he must have plenty of ready cash up front to pay his troops and to hire additional mercenaries. That's what he wants to do. And Cyprus, yes, there'll be money floating around. They grab as much loose cash as they can from Cyprus. And then, 
after a short interval, we don't know quite how long, Richard says, look, I will sell it to the Templars and they can produce some more cash up front. So he sells the island of Cyprus for absolute bargain price of 100,000 bezants. Now, the bezants is a, the Arabic dinar. So they're gold coins. And the Templars, of course, under the exigencies of the Third Crusade and all the problems, can't actually put £100,000 worth of gold into Richard's sticky fingers on the nail. So they said, look, you can have 40000 and we'll get the rest from the luckless Cypriots who we will now ruthlessly exploit. So what they do is they send a fairly small force of Templars to take charge of the island. Now, consider the implications. Had this worked, Cyprus would have become a Templar island. It would have been rather like later history of hospitalers in Rhodes and then much later on in Malta. It would have been their own sovereign state. It's what the Teutonic Knights had in Prussia. Templars would have had in Cyprus. And it is actually quite, the might have been, it's, it's, quite, it's really quite stupendous, really. Well, now, you say, what happens? Well, what happens is fairly predictable. The Cypriots don't like the Templars very much, but they also realise there aren't very many of them. And so they stage a, an attack. And the Templars get holed up in a fortress in Nicosia. Now, the sources say it's not very well defended. Now, that can mean one of two things. It may mean that physically the fortress wasn't up to much. In other words, the walls weren't very strong. Or it could mean that the fortress was actually quite strong, but there weren't enough food and drink in it to keep the garrison there for more than a few days. (laughs) But either way, the Templars are shut up in there. They try and negotiate their way out the Local Cypriots aren't having none of it, and so the Templars decide that the only thing to do is literally to cut their way out, and so they sally forth, and killing anyone who gets in the way, and the slaughter sounds have been pretty appalling. Do we think Robert was with them then? No. In fact, he wasn't. He quite clearly wasn't. It was a man called Arno Bouchard. And Arno Bouchard, those of you who are uh, Assassin Creed aficionados, is another character who turns up in that story. The sources, again, are a little bit ambivalent. There are various versions of the account. One version says yeah, they did awfully well. Another one is sort of rather laments the fact that the slaughter was so extensive and so largely unnecessary. So they escape from their fortress, and Robert has to go back to Richard and say, look, sorry, chum, it's not working we're going to just have to give you the island back. We don't have the resources to do this. We can't cope. So in other words, Robert has failed. Robert has failed. Richard has also failed to a certain extent. They've, they've failed to capture Jerusalem. And there's a peace treaty, isn't there? Well, there's an agreement between Saladin, the Muslim commander, and King Richard. In Assassin's Creed, it's got Robert kind of negotiating this treaty himself, but that, that's not true, is Not it? as far as I know. There's no doubt at all that he, he would have been in on Richard's councils when he was doing it. But whether he was actually physically involved with talking to the Muslims, I don't know. And as you point out, he dies in the Holy Land as well. So he, we don't think he dies in a dramatic duel like he does in Assassin's Creed. No. As far as we know, he died in his bed. But we should point out that lots of people died of disease. Of, oh, yes. I mean, yes. It was hard campaigning as well. Yes. Yeah, uh, he's a man of mature years. By this time, he's probably in his 50s. Not very many of these people live beyond 60. Just finishing up, I guess what 
Assassin's Creed portrays the Grand Master of the Templars as a, a sort of a hugely significant figure, as, as powerful as kings. Do you think that was realistic, or does it depend on the health of the Templar at the time, whoever was in the office? Well, they were powerful. And, of course, what happens is that after the Third Crusade is over, they get much more powerful. Basically, what happens is that a lot of the territory that the Christians lose, they never get back, or they never get back securely. On the other hand, the Templars have still got all their estates in the West and their recruiting grounds in the West, so they've still got their wealth. And... Essentially what happens is that the Templars and the Sister Order Hospitallers are more important in the years that follow the Third Crusade than they had been previously. Before 1187, um, you have this rather odd situation developed. The king relies on the military orders because he needs their manpower, he needs their wealth. But on the other hand, he doesn't control them, he doesn't rule them. The military orders are only answerable to the Pope. And that means that although the military orders, both Templars and Hospitallers, are an enormous asset, their troops are not under direct royal control. And the other thing that needs to be said is that in the 12th century, at least three of the masters are men rather like Robert, who've been jobbed in, not by the King of England as a crusader, but by the kings of Jerusalem men who had been royal officials, who had been high in the king's service, and then suddenly appear as the master of the orders. Um, so again, it looks as if the sort of manoeuvre that Richard had tried had previously been played successfully by various kings of Jerusalem. Peter, thank you very much for coming on this podcast. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Next time on Assassins vs. Templars, Matt Lewis is talking to Nicholas Morton about Richard I and Edward I, how one of them may have hired the Assassins, now the other got on the wrong side of them. Make sure you're following the Echoes of History podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss it. And you can listen to the rest of the series. You've been listening to a special collaboration between History Hit and Ubisoft, with post-production done by Paradiso Media. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.